Hello and welcome to the Empowered Hormone Podcast, where we pull apart all those taboo topics, periods, parasites, poos, hormones and more. Let's question everything you've been taught about your body. I'm your host, Sheridan Decker, a gin-loving gut health nerd passionate about debunking myths on birth control, period pain and IBS. If you struggle with bloating or your period is less than pretty, then join me as we chat about everything relating to gut and hormone health. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Empowered Hormones podcast. Now, today's episode is a little bit different. Um, It's actually a recording of the podcast that I did with I Quit Sugar on their unprocessed podcast episode. I just thought it was a really informative one and Grace and Clara are so knowledgeable in, I guess, their understanding of their own health and their own health goals and just sort of being able to chat to Clara about her endometriosis and things that she struggled with and then being able to rehash out my health journey, which so many people then reached out to me after. I'm like, whoa, I had no idea about the neutropenia stuff and the white blood cell count and the immune things and leukemia and all these different stuff that I sometimes forget that a lot of people don't know my full story. So They've known that I've struggled with bloating and constipation, but not a lot of the other things. So it's kind of nice to rehash that and give you guys an understanding of where my own health journey started and came from. And because we're chatting on the IQS podcast, I wanted to just remind you that one of the key ways to reduce sugar in your diet is by increasing your protein intake. Okay, so most women. I start to work with don't have a real solid understanding of how much protein should be in their diet and how to increase protein in their diet. And then once we do, a lot of them struggle with whey or casein-based proteins as well. So one protein I want to recommend to you guys is Protein Switch. So that's the organic sprouted plant protein by Switch Nutrition. Now, I do love this one just because I find that a good quality protein not only keeps you fuller for longer, but also... So theirs has enhanced digestive support. So it's got some digestines uh, which are just going to help you break down not only the protein elements in there, but whatever you're pairing that protein powder with. So they do have a 30-day money-back guarantee on it. And I know this is a really good thing because so many people buy protein powders and actually don't like them. Like they're like, oh, it's too gritty or it's too sweet or it's making me bloated or, you know, I don't like the flavor. So I feel like that's a really good um, support element from them as well. So what makes their protein taste so great is that it actually comes from sprouted pumpkin seeds and sprouted watermelon seeds, which is super interesting. Uh, They also use sprouted hemp seeds, which has got a complete source of highly digestible essential amino acids in it. And hemp provides a unique bioavailable protein called, and I'm going to say it wrong, Edestine, as well as high quality essential fatty acids. So this protein is a blend of, like I said, pumpkin seed protein, watermelon seed protein, hemp seed protein, fermented organic pea protein, and then digestine, which is a digestive enzyme blend, which will help improve the digestion of protein, carbs, and fat. So I suggest you jump to the link in my show notes, uh, have a look at the protein switch, use the code SHEZ, S-H-E-Z at checkout to get a nice little discount off that one. 
And other than that, I would also recommend you track your protein intake, especially if you're getting carb cravings or really struggle with sugar in your diet. And just if you ever want to tell, like reach out to me and go, hey, Sheridan, this is how much protein I'm having. Do you think it is enough? This is how much I'm moving. I'm more than happy to uh, give you some support in my Instagram DMs. So please enjoy today's episode. Uh, I would love to hear your feedback and it was such, such a great episode to record and I could have chatted to those girls for hours. So yeah, I really, really enjoyed it and I feel really privileged to be working with them on their gut health course as well, which is released at the start of August. So go over, have a look at that, give me some feedback and yeah, I hope to chat to you guys soon. Sheridan, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Could you take us back to the beginning of your gut health journey? When I got barley belly, I mm. got the Epsom Barr virus and it actually changes the way your immune system works. And that was also part of having blastocystis hominis, which was a parasite. And mm. they actually stuff up a lot of that immune reactions. And from then, so from that point on, I like became like celiac so that was from 18 onwards no longer eat gluten anymore like severe sort of reaction to it got psoriasis got my neutrophils so my white blood cell count completely gone they did bone marrow mm. bio testing they thought i had leukemia like they went wow. your whole immune system is shot what has happened and basically it was just from having barley belly like it was crazy how did wow. you go through that diagnosis process took me years because gps mm. were like you're young you're like 21 you're studying sports science you're super healthy you know like i didn't have periods for seven years after that so i had no periods Whoa. severe acne was going to the toilet like once a mm. week like the severest constipation um extreme bloating fatigue, exhaustion. I was also really stressed. Like I was top of my class at sports science because I'm mm. such like a, like a goer. So it was this whole <laughs> stress component and then really like real perfectionist style stuff, but then also all this gut and hormone stuff. And it took me like it's six or seven years of seeing different medical professionals and saying going through all that blood testing and they're going mm. everything looks fine and then they're like okay well we'll do this bone marrow biopsy and figure out what's going on there and they're like well you're producing the white blood cells there's just none in your like bloodstream in your body so your body's fighting something like there's just all these mixed diagnosis and that's mm. when I finished sports science, started my master's in nutrition and then was like, well, okay, food and exercise is not enough because I was meeting women like myself who were like, I've got ongoing bloating or I've lost my period mm. for years or I've got extreme gut issues and I'm doing all the right things. And I'm like, yeah, this is there's a gap here. What the heck is going on? Then I came across functional diagnostic nutrition, looked into the stool mm. testing, SIBO testing, hormone testing, ran it all on myself, studied it, learned about it, and then found out I had SIBO, I had two parasites, I had candida, I had gut issues. I have still to this day in all the hundreds and hundreds of women's stool tests I've seen, I've never seen anyone as severe as mine was at the time. Mm. So I just know how bad it was. Um, and then, yeah, basically just started working myself, treating myself, studying, like just did so many courses to understand what the heck is going on. And then I feel like, so that was, what are we now? Like my business has been almost three years full time, but I studied mm. in 2017 or something. And I reckon I was on the verge of when gut health was becoming a thing. Yeah. So now it's like every PT and everybody's got a, 
idea and gut health. But when I started, this information wasn't out there. Like stool testing mm-hmm. was not a common thing besides just your GP's poo in a cup and it tells you two parasites and two bacteria. Like that's not mm-hmm. the kind of stool testing I run or I'm looking at. So I looked at through all of that, treated myself, it took me years to heal my gut, get my periods mm-hmm. back, get on top of my stress, get rid of all those parasites and stuff. But it was really that classic, here's the medical diagnosis Here's the functional diagnosis. The medical system will keep me alive, but it will not make me function optimally. And that was where yeah. this match was because they were like, well, we'll give you the birth control pill to give you periods. And I'm like, well, that's not dealing with the root cause here. That mm. That is keeping my system functioning, but it's not optimal. And same with like laxatives or take more fiber yeah. supplements or whatever do that to stop me constipation I was like yeah but that's not the underlying cause here and it was like mm. do a colonoscopy yeah okay I don't have cancer awesome I don't have polyps I don't have leukemia amazing mm. but I'm still constipated bloated tired and feel like shit so mm. it was sort of trying to find that middle line and then when I learned about all that stuff and then I started healing and then start running it in women I was like it was just Mm. like light bulb I was like this is all I can do I can literally never do anything else in my life because it's just that transformation and now seeing that in women who are like I'm no longer bloated like my client Mm. the other day 15 years of chasing the medical system and no one could give her answers or anything within a couple months all her bloating was gone all her immune system stuff had calmed down like it's just like it's it is that root cause stuff like I feel like that's just the yeah the basics of what it should be now but it's not you know treating as as you know you'll get the pill right and that will obviously bring on your periods etc versus actually treating the root cause like that has implications for you and that's what I I'm always astounded with medical practice is you know great you've got your period but what then happens when you want to get pregnant and you've you know and you go into that fertility period because Obviously, as you said, you're not at your optimum, but you're masking it all. You're masking it because you're, yeah. on, you're on the pill. Hey, it's Grace here. Just want to quickly interrupt the episode to say it's time to start nourishing you. Join the eight-week program and get eight weeks of easy, delicious meal plans with full shopping lists. And at $5.50 or under per serve, it couldn't be more affordable to eat healthy. Each week, we'll give you a range of meals to cook that are quick and easy to prepare with minimal waste. You don't have to be a master chef to enjoy these nutritious meals. Plus, fun online workouts, mentoring from industry experts, and access to our exclusive sleep school. Spots are limited. Join now. Now let's get back into the episode. You know, we hear about gut microbiomes. What are those? And how how are they supposed to be working? And what are the effects if it's not working, what can you start to feel and how do you know that that's kind of out of balance for you? Yeah, I love this. And I just want to say, everybody listening, go do the gut health course because we cover this in detail. <laughs> yes, girl. <laughs> Very much literally so. been filming videos on this for you guys. But no, I, I think you're right, like 100%. People like, I get in my DMs all the time, I'm like, what are you struggling with? And people are like, my gut like my gut is unhealthy but we don't actually know what like what that means what we're thinking Mm. generally is I'm bloated my stomach hurts I've got constipation like that's kind of like where those things are coming from and we're not even always connecting the dots going I've got Hashimoto's or I've got endometriosis or I've got Mm. you know heavy painful periods and we're not even stepping that back to our gut so 
the gut itself is trillions of bacteria, yeast, fungi, which reside in there, I like to call it like a healthy garden. So Mm. when that garden gets out of whack, because we're doing things like we are really stressed, but as you guys know, our foods have a lot of chemicals, Mm. pesticides, we're eating on the go, so there's more processed foods, antibiotics, really important at certain times, but do damage the gut microbiome birth control pills, sometimes needed, sometimes not needed, damage Mm. the gut microbiome, medications for like reflux, heartburn, all that kind of stuff starts to kill off your good gut flora, which means that your opportunistic stuff overgrowth. And a classic example is how many women I see who have thrush after taking antibiotics because you've killed off a lot of the good guys, a lot of lactobacillus and get a thrush sort of onset in a sense right because you take antibiotics yes you wipe off those bad bacteria you also kill off a lot of the good guys so something like thrush the primary thing is rebuilding up the lactobacillus so it's a process and off you go and and you do that so you don't have reoccurrence but we're thinking about in the gut as well we're like okay well we've killed off a lot of the bifobacterium and the lactobacillus Mm. so candida's overgrowing and then these opportunistic pathogens overgrow but what also happens is often you've had something like you've had food poisoning so it's not just Mm. you've taken antibiotics we need to rebuild the bacteria that's almost a simplistic idealistic way of looking at it it's actually like I've had food poisoning, I had a bug, maybe I need to take medication for it, maybe I didn't, maybe my system sort of cleared it, but then you have these lingering things, you know, that actually reside in your gut microbiome, Clostridium, Klebsiella, whatever it is, Salmonella, so the real nasty ones as well, they sit in there, parasites, so defrag's a common one, blasto's a common one, they sit in there and they start to disrupt that that microbiome so those cells which should sit shoulder to shoulder in your gut they get leaky (laughs) they separate they get inflamed Mm. your immune system then starts reacting to things because particles that should not be getting into your bloodstream get into your bloodstream and your immune system goes what the heck is going on here this should not be in here and off you go with your autoimmune conditions so essentially it's like well there's a loss of good gut flora, there's uh, overgrowth of opportunistic yeast or bacteria, and then there's inflammation and then the body starts getting Mm. aggravated, which is why we see things like, I had a client the other day, all her swelling in her ankles is gone simply by working on gut health because she had systemic inflammation. And that's what we see with autoimmune conditions that's what we see with mood so that serotonin that is produced in the gut is a big one that's what we see with women who struggle to lose weight who have IBS because there's constipation and there's inflammation and those good gut flora not only ferment your food produce short-chain fatty acids which are food for the cells in your colon to stay strong Mm. and repair so they do that but they also create and manufacture nutrients as well so if you can absorb your key nutrients if you can't manufacture your key nutrients we're thinking well how do you produce good hormones how do you support your thyroid how do you support your adrenal glands so it's always a pyramid the bottoms the gut health and then we think sex hormones thyroid adrenals autoimmune conditions everything else is is further up in a sense so what's a natural alternative to an antibiotic if you're having these issues 
Yeah, so it depends. It depends what it is. Like different things, you know, have different approaches. UTI, for example, we often go on antibiotics for cranberry juice or tablets mm. or like berberine. So herbs can be really good for it. Um, if it's something like a really nasty bug or parasite, depending on the type of bug or the type of parasite, but wormwood, clove, oregano, thyme, those things can be really, really great because I think we forget what life was like prior to antibiotics in a sense. It's mm. like, oh, we actually had to use natural rem remedies to do these things. And it's like I read this thing the other day about um, sore throats and coughs and using cough syrups and how using a little bit of iodine and honey mixed together and what even just plain honey for kids can be like a just as good remedy as opposed to taking a cough syrup. Like there are for ev everything you do, there is a mm. natural solution for. Instead of Panadol, you can use something called uh, quercetine, which is a uh, high-strength antioxidant. So there's always there's always a flip side for stuff. Antibiotics definitely have a time and a place, but 99% of the time I won't treat a gut with antibiotics. I'll use clove or garlic or mm. berberine, oregano, depending on the bug you have, to to rebalance that. Yeah, antibiotics is um, one I also just read about recently that I didn't realise. And I'm go I'm going to preface this with I'm sure I'm going to get this wrong because it was one of those <laughs> things that I read in passing and then went, oh, I've got to reread that at some point. But there's effects that you can ha your infant can have of you taking an antibiotic throughout the course of your life that obviously affects equality or something along those lines and then it affects your child and I was blown away by that. So the two the two biggest things that I think are most damaging about antibiotics is mm. one right obviously it kills a lot of your good gut flora which can take one to two years to re-establish so oh, wow yeah that's why like when I'm working with women, I'm going, you're committing to me for minimum six months because this mm. is this is a process here and nothing I can do can fix you within a couple of weeks. So that's one thing is the time for probiotics, prebiotics, which I'll go into into the course, but those foods to actually work takes time. And then the other thing, like you just said, mother's microbiome is predictor of baby's microbiome. So the scariest thing I see is women who are like, I want to have a baby, but mm. I've got a lot of quote unquote IBS. And I quote IBS because I don't think it's a real diagnosis. It's just a collection of symptoms. The real mm. diagnosis is SIBO or bacteria or something else going mm. on. But if mum's going in with severe IBS and an imbalanced microbiome or reoccurring thrush and you're having a baby, potentially we'll have to go on antibiotics around birth, depending as to you never know what your birth story is going to mm. be, then that's setting your baby up and, you know, you add a C-section on top of that. Mm. It's like, okay, they lose all that input of vaginal microbiome flora as well. It's, it's a hard start to the start of a baby's life in a sense. And, you know, you can't control all those outcomes, but you can control leading up to pregnancy, birth, feeding your baby, all mm. those things, what your microbiome's doing. Is there natural ways to um, enhance the digestive functions? Yeah, so people, like when I say digestive function, people go, oh, they might just think like bloating, like the actual mm. gut. And I always kind of go, okay, well, your digestive system, so your GI tract starts from your mouth from the moment 
you're thinking about food and you start to slide and go, oh, yes, that's going to be tasty, you start to produce um, enzymes in your mouth which are going to help break down the food. Then the food's going to get through your stomach where we have stomach acid which is going to help kill off a lot of those pathogens and things. Now, that's the first place I see issues because people tend to have an imbalance in stomach acid reflux heartburn they get told they have too much stomach acid and it's a real issue the issue usually is you don't have enough stomach acid the other thing is is we're nutrient depleted so just you know for example b12 zinc you're low in those you can't produce enough stomach acid birth control for example depletes bees complete zinc um, so we go okay don't have enough nutrients not producing enough stomach acid pathogens are getting through not completely breaking down that food it's then getting to your small intestine which we like to call a reasonably sterile environment there's not supposed to be a huge load of bacteria in there it's actually where we absorb all that broken down foods then we're thinking okay there's partially digested food going into my small intestine which is then starting to feed more bacteria it ferments and that's where if anyone listening has heard of FODMAPs Mm. if you remove FODMAPs they actually don't get fermented in your small intestine so you don't get the bloating and stomach pain that you would normally get whereas if you were to eat a high FODMAP food like garlic or onion classic one is the pregnancy look bloat and people Mm. go I just look pregnant and I'm like yep that's SIBO so that's a small intestinal bacteria overgrowth so Healthy gut gets absorbed there. Unhealthy gut starts to ferment, produce gas, then goes into your large intestine. Now, this is where all those good bacteria should be. So when we're thinking of probiotics, we're thinking of reseeding and repopulating the large intestines. We want a heap of bacteria in there. That's where all the magic occurs. The short-chain fatty acids are produced. You know, we have a nice, healthy gut lining. And then from there, obviously, we have a bowel movement. So... There's kind of all those phases to support it. Number one, stomach acid, bees and zinc are my my key thing for people. It's like you can take digestive enzymes definitely. You can take HCLs, which will support digestion. But what we really like to do is go, hey, let's tell your body to do its work. And even the simplest thing like a Berogast, which you can buy from Woolworths or Coles, it's a bitter herbal blend, that's actually going to tell your body to help produce more amylase and actually go, hey, we need enough bile, we need enough enzymes, we need enough digestive juices to break it down. So bitter Mm. herbs is a good one. A little bit of apple cider vinegar before meals can be beneficial. If there's a lot of burning, if someone's doing that and there's a lot of burning and pain, just stop because you've probably got a bacteria thing or an ulcer in there. Um, And then really just going, okay, small and large intestine, if we're getting bloating, constipation, loose stools, you've got to think about less raw foods because they're actually quite hard to digest and healing that gut lining. Mm. So prebiotics and probiotics are going to be good for adding in bacteria, but they're not going to help you if you've got a real 
uh, you know, overgrowth in there that's just fermenting all those foods essentially. So you spoke about FODMAP just then and you said obviously that's where we go, okay, let's just remove the FODMAP. Is that again, so a lot of people are on the FODMAP diet. It's, it's one of those things where and it's another thing that I feel like on Instagram and TikTok and stuff there, you know, gluten-free comes up a lot, FODMAP comes up a lot. Sometimes I don't know whether FODMAP is actually what they need or if they need to treat the root cause. Is that kind of what FODMAP is doing? Is it treating the root cause or is it just alleviating the symptoms that you're getting? Well, Clara, how much time do we have? I feel like (laughs) this is my pet peeve and the baby of what I do. The thing is, I see so many women who they come to me and they've been on FODMAP for years, right? And then I'm like, okay, you're on FODMAP and now you're still getting those symptoms. So for someone who's never tried a low FODMAP diet and they jump on a low FODMAP diet, you generally see a real reduction in bloating, gut issues and stuff. So then they go, I feel amazing because I've removed that fermentable food source, starting to feel really good. The issue is we then stay on that and the high FODMAP foods, like let's just name a couple, garlic, onion, gluten, lactose, Um, Mm. and legumes you know so there are some of the big trigger foods we remove them which are actually food sources for your good gut flora so then I'm running a stool test on these people generally women who've who've done it for years running a stool test and I'm seeing undergrown um, microbiome so I'm seeing things like fecal pranasi or there's other bacteria acomantia in there your bifobacter your lactobacillus which are now all undergrown because they haven't received food for years because we're actually stopping the bloating in the small intestine, but we're removing the food for the large intestine. So it's this catch-22 and I'm like, I'm all for the low FODMAP diet. I use it when someone's got SIBO and they've got severe gut issues, but we only use it for six to eight weeks you know we we use it for a short period of time and if anyone's doing it do it properly and download the monash university app because they Mm. actually talk you through that and they go hey this is how long we do it for we remove these foods then we actually start to reintroduce them so we can see out of the six fodmaps what one you're reacting to because Mm. the chances that someone reacts to every type of FODMAP, so every type of fermentable chain of carbohydrate is actually very rare. So there'll be ones that you can include and then slowly add them in. The other thing is often it's not always FODMAPs. Like often it is um, gluten in itself, like myself, like you develop mm. an allergy after having some kind of IBS or gut symptom, or it's actually the lactose. So you're not producing enough enzyme to break down the lactose in dairy now this is not um this is not a bacteria issue this is usually a poor nutrient issue so again by having enough minerals so mineral rich foods like really good quality salt your sea salt the minerals out of that um your organ meats your oysters which are super high in zinc um I'm a, I know everyone's not, but I'm a big fan of quality red meat in the diet. Mm. Like I do really believe in the healing powers of some animal-based foods. Eggs are another big one. Uh, So by including a lot of nutrient mineral dense food, we can produce enough enzymes to break down lactose, lactase essentially. Like by the end of my program, I'm seeing women eat dairy, quality dairy, whereas at the start it'd give them diarrhea. And that's Mm. purely 
they just don't have the nutrients to break it down. So FODMAPs, one, yes, do it if it's helpful, but two, the root cause is generally undergrown microbiome opportunistic bacteria. So you've really got mm. to do a SIBO breath test or a stool test to understand why you have it. So you said the FODMAP diet it kind of shows what people are having reactions to. Is there another way to do a test to show what people are reacting to? Yeah, so I guess people like the FODMAP diet because of the ease of access, right? So it's like, cool, I remove these foods, therefore I must be, and often people say I'm allergic to gluten or I'm allergic to dairy, where like we've mm. just covered that's not the cause. So instead I like to do, you can do food allergy testing, like sometimes if someone's really reactive, they'll run a stool test, um, a SIBO breath test and a food allergy test. Now, food allergy testing is kind of the top tier stuff in the sense that it's not super important. It is because it removes some of those initial reactions, but it's not a root cause thing unless it's a true allergy like you're you're allergic or you're celiac, you know, you're having an immune response. But in 99% of people, you're not having an immune response. It's a digestive malfunction. So then I go, mm -hmm. well, do a SIBO breath test where basically you swallow or you drink a little sugar solution, which directly feeds the bacteria in your small intestine. You breathe into these little bags every 20 minutes or so. We collect your breath. In that breath, we're actually collecting the gas produced by the bacteria. So then I can go, you've got hydrogen-dominant or methane-dominant bacteria in there. That tells me I need to use these herbs or these herbs to treat it. So that's one root cause approach. But then the, the kicker to that is a lot of people might have done that step and gone, yeah, I've got SIBO Sheridan and I treated it and it came back. And I'm like, yeah, again, because you haven't treated the root cause. So then the next step of going, well, then why do I have SIBO? Why is this bacteria in there in the small, like in the first place is because either you're not having regular bowel movements, so you're not simply not moving stuff through and it can ferment, um, or there might be high stress load or there's a heap of bacteria in the large intestine which is growing up into the small intestine. So it's treating that as well and then also looking at stomach acid and going break down your food properly. Mm. So top test would be SIBO breath test, three-day comprehensive stool test, which is going to tell you all the good, bad, inflammatory, immune, leaky gut, all that stuff, which is going to give me the why. So there's always a root cause of a root cause and people forget that. Like they initially go, oh, yeah, root cause. Okay, I'll treat, you know, the bacteria. And I'm like, why do you have the bacteria? And are you constantly putting stuff in your body that's feeding that bacteria? Mm. So what kind of foods do feed those bacteria? Generally, like on a general kind of principle, um, if it's SIBO, then it is actually healthy foods like garlic and onion can kind of feed and ferment mm. it. But across the board, your sugars is, is a big one. Simple sugars is really easy food. And I'm an advocate for carbohydrates in the diet. Like I'm not someone who's going to tell you to be like, that's it, low carb for life, keto, anything like that. I love my food. I love to eat. Mm. I'm very active. But I do think there are periods of time where removing, obviously, the simple sugars is a big one, but also a lot of those highly processed foods, that mm. simple sources of gluten, 
Um, that probably your, your biggest ones that are going to feed it, your alcohol, that kind of stuff. So anything that's quite easy for that bacteria to break down and digest. And when someone goes on a anti-candida, anti-sort of bacteria, anti-parasitic diet, we do remove a lot of those carbohydrate fuel sources out at the start. And that might even be a bit of rice and a bit of potatoes, like cutting down your serving sizes of them just while you treat that bacteria. And then we can sort of add it back in because it's kind of like histamines. Some people might have heard Mm. about histamines, but you've got a histamine cup and you've, you've got a tolerance in that cup. For someone with bacteria overgrowth or candida or parasites, it's actually quite similar with your carbohydrate cup load. So you can handle so many carbs. Like you might come to me one day and be like, I had rice for dinner and I felt great. And then the next day you had potatoes and you had a heap of bananas and mangoes Mm. and fruit and you're like, I feel awful today. Why do I feel awful? I ate rice yesterday, so I'm handling carbs fine. And I'm like, actually, you can't handle a high load of carbs two days in a row because it's it's just too much for your body to process. So simple sugars and things that, and alcohol are generally the the worst, for better use of mm. words, when you're in that healing stage. And then a lot of, yeah, your carbohydrates can just be really aggravating. Without turning this podcast into please diagnose me. Um, Far away, that's what I'm here for. (laughs) But this is what I find quite interesting is um, so throughout this, we've spoken at length about the fact that I've just been diagnosed with endometriosis. I've actually had two or three friends diagnosed at about the same time. We're in our 40s, they're a bit younger, but, you know, I'm, you know, 42 and I'm being diagnosed. One of the things that has jumped out at me actually a few times, you've mentioned endometriosis now. When we talk about so endometriosis, I'm at the journey where I've had the surgery and I've just had, you know, it removed. And I'm like, what now? What next? So I've obviously had it, but I've been told I've had it. But And I went to a doctor literally two days ago and said, okay, so I've got this. What do I do? Like, how do I control it? Another thing that was interesting in our chat is I think it affects my moods and my hormones. I think it's been affecting quite a few things for numerous years. So someone like me who comes to you and goes, okay, so I don't have extreme bloating. I don't have any of that stuff, but I have endometriosis. Could this be related? You know, could my gut be playing into this? And how is that then playing into my hormones? So endometriosis, three things come to mind initially. One, there is an immune component, obviously, because we we recognize it's an autoimmune condition. So we're like, right, we need to calm down that immune system. And that Mm. looks like looking into your gut health, looking at that microbiome and going, what inflammatory bacteria are present and what's driving inflammation? So there's a Mm. lot of things you can do off the bat for autoimmune conditions like the ARP diets, the autoimmune protocol, calming that stuff down, doing your stool testing, your fish oils, all your anti-inflammatory stuff, you know, your turmeric, all those bits and pieces, which is great. But I would always say run a stool test and make sure you get that microbiome balance. But the next key component is doing a Dutch comprehensive hormone test. I would Mm. hand on heart tell any female who's ever struggled with endometriosis or fibroids because it's the same liver detoxing pathway, that 16-OH pathway, anyone who's had those kind of symptoms or 
even just heavy painful periods is a big one or a family history of um, like breast cancer or anything like that, I would say have a look at these detoxing pathways and the way your body's moving those hormones around because a key component of endo is not just the immune stuff, it's also the estrogen component, right? So Mm. it's like, well, there's generally, and I'm going to generalise here, but there's generally an elevated estrogen component But a blood test will only tell you that estrogen's high and progesterone might be low or it might be in range. Doesn't matter if estrogen's high, estrogen's higher. That's what a blood test is going to tell you. A mm. saliva test will give you slightly more data for that next sort of price point of around $180 or so. And that'll tell me, okay, these are my three types of estrogen. This is my adrenal outlook. This is what my mm. adrenal glands are doing over the day because also the adrenal glands are going to impact that immune system as to how stressed Mm. you are. But then most importantly, if you run a Dutch comprehensive hormone test, you look at the way estrogen moves through the liver, so through phase one Mm. and phase two, and the way your body's clearing it. And the number one issue I see is that someone is not clearing that estrogen properly in phase one and two. Pooing is phase three. So phase one, you need enough minerals, protein. That's where stuff like people might have heard of broccoli sprout or dim or, you know, those kind of general herbal supplements work there. Phase two needs a heap of Bs and zinc, magnesium, Mm. glycine, stuff to move it through. And then phase three, having a regular bowel movement, which a lot of women with um, endometriosis struggle around ovulation. They get a bit of extra bloating. They react more to gluten and dairy and they get a bit Mm. of constipation as well. So Mm. it's supporting that whole immune aspect. It's supporting that microbiome. And then it's really digging into those hormones and going, hey, how am I moving things through my system? Mm. Because this is going to actually impact my sort of that reoccurrence or better use of words of endo because everyone's different some end up with surgery in a year some it's five years some are fine like it it so varies Mm. I went to see a doctor two days ago and it was a doctor who I also have a lot of faith in on quite a few things she has gone to that extra thing and I mentioned hormones and I said you know I've always been hormonal now I've realized got endometriosis there has to be something linked how do I change that because I don't want to be hormonal. I want it, you know, I'd read all about the estrogen and all of that kind of stuff. And she just kind of looked at me again and I was like, I'm back here. I'm back at someone who really is like, don't really want to take it any further. And she was like, oh, we can do hormonal testing. We can do, and I was like, oh, and you need to, everybody, you need to advocate for yourselves. You need to be able to talk. I mean, I'm very lucky in um, our job that, I get to talk to people like yourself, but you need to find these people and have conversations, I think. Yeah, 100%. And, like, there's I think the hardest thing, like the most frustrating thing for me is, is one, that aspect, like GP's not pushing for more, but mm. also the the cost barriers. Like I'm really aware that not everyone has money to do comprehensive testing as well. So it's like, well, yeah, Sharon, okay, I really want to do the Dutch comprehensive hormone test to really understand my body, get to the root cause, and, you know, I want to do a stool test. But we're looking at, you know, $1,000 worth of testing if you're mm. running both of them. And that's just the reality. That's just not accessible to everyone. So then it's also... That's why people step it back and go, okay, I've heard low FODMAP helps with endo because I get some of these bloating symptoms. And then women get stuck on the low FODMAP because there's not enough 
education and awareness as to how to get off it, how to rebuild that microbiome Mm. and sort of how to step forward. Because even from an immune component, there's heaps we can do food-wise with AIP. Mm. From a high estrogen component, raw carrots are a big one for helping detox estrogen. Flax seeds, raspberry leaf tea for painful periods, nettle tea, so much stuff we can do from a food point of view, which is really going to help. Now, I Mm. believe 110% in what I do, and I believe in the testing. And if you have the funds, I always say to people, please, please do it because it saved my life and it changed Mm. my life. But I'm also aware that food can do so much groundwork as well, which will really help a lot of those sort of um, immune aspects and things. Doctor's appointment was so unbelievably frustrating. And then you say stuff and it just makes sense. Yeah. Mm. And that's the issue is is that's the norm. Like I work with women on a daily basis who are in tears to me, like are crying, mm. going, they are not listening to me, Sheridan. Like they yeah. won't run the basic blood work. They don't believe my symptoms. Like, And that is like that's not every GP or doctor. But the quality of care can be so bad that it's just Mm. it's heartbreaking for these women who are actually trying to get help the other thing is I don't think people realize um how much stuff you can do yourself nowadays so yes I strongly advocate for people like myself because I think that people in the functional world are doing a great job but Mm. you can literally go onto ice screen and order a blood hormonal panel, print it off, take it to your pathology centre, bypass your GP. Yes, it's going to cost you 100 bucks, but a GP's 50 bucks, whatever nowadays anyway. It's very rare, mm. it's bulk billed. So for the mm. extra $40, $50, you don't have to waste time seeing someone who's not going to give you any testing. What about iron deficiency? Because it's quite common to hear that women have a deficiency in this. Everyone's got low iron, but no one's mm. looking at the root causes of it and building it back up. They're just going, mm. go get an iron infusion. And I'm like, in what world is dumping a whole heap of iron on someone when we can do it gradually and slowly and, and root cause approach and look at that small intestine, look at that absorption? Mm. Like, why is that not pushed rather than just going inf- get an infusion every so many months? It's like yeah. it may have a time and a place, but it's – we're not looking at long-term healthcare here. I was at the doctor and I had low iron. This was years ago. And I was on the pill and the doctor told me to skip my period. And that's yeah. how to build it up. And I yeah. was like, this just doesn't feel good for my body skipping periods. Mm. Like the yeah. pill already didn't feel good, but this just well, felt unnatural. And the fact that they call that a period as well. Yeah. yeah. Like, like the, all the time the GP's like, oh, well, you know, like go on the pill and you'll have a period. I'm like, mate, if she's not ovulating and progesterone and things aren't coming up and you're not releasing egg, like that's just a bleed. Like that's not, <laughs> that's not menstruating. Yeah, that, and that's the part that really frustrates me about your story is the fact that they thought that was going to be okay for your body and it's like there is so much other things that are going on. When you then come off the pill, if you still aren't having a natural period, so say you do go down that route, you come off the pill and you're still not, you're years behind finding out mm. what the root cause is. Yeah. Most people come off the pill because they want to get pregnant. Therefore, you don't know what your fertility health is. At that point in time, you could be, you know, 34, 28. God, some people are in the, you know, 38, 40 Mm. where it becomes really scary and you don't know what your fertility health is at all. And we're not educating women on this. 
We're not talking to them about the fact that taking a pill is just taking a pill. It's got nothing to do with your actual fertility health. Welcome to why I'm currently anxious about having a baby. (laughs) (laughs) A hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's just poor information 